welcome to the BPL podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Laser, and I'm here today with two very special guests. Um, today we have poets Eloisa Amesqua and Leila Shati. So Eloisa and Leila, thank you for being on the podcast. Of course. I really appreciate it. Um, a little bit about our two guests today. So Eloisa Amesqua is from Arizona. She earned a BA in English from the University of San Diego, where she was the recipient of the Lindsay J. Cropper Award for Creative Writing and Poetry, selected by Ilya Kaminsky. In 2014, she completed the MFA program at Emerson College in Boston, Massachusetts. Her debut full-length poetry collection, From the Inside Quietly, was released in March 2018. Eloisa is the founder and agent of Castura Creative, a Latinx-owned and operated talent agency representing contemporary poets and writers. And Leila Shati was born in Oakland, California. A Tunisian-American dual citizen, she has lived in the United States, Tunisia, and southern France. She's the author of chapbooks Ebb and Tunisia Amerkia, the 2017 editor's selection from Bull City Press. She holds a BA from the Residential College in the Arts and Humanities at Michigan State University and an MFA from North Carolina State University, where she was awarded the Academy of American Poets Prize. So Eloisa and Leila, can you tell us a little bit about your backgrounds and what inspired you to write? Well, um, I'm, I've been writing my whole life. Um, there's baby photos of me holding books. So uh, for some reason, I was really drawn to books, um, mm. I guess the object. And then once I understood what they were and what they did, um, that love didn't go away. So I've been writing since I learned how, um, so about four or five. Um, and writing ever since. Um, poetry in particular, I think I like because I really like sound. And so as a child, um, I was writing a lot of poetry and a lot of um, rhyming poetry as that's sort of what children are inundated with. Mm -hmm. um, but I love that sound and, um, and I haven't stopped loving that sound. Okay, yeah. This is great because I feel like I'm probably the exact opposite. So I hated <laughs> writing and I didn't like reading um, until around college. Um, and part of that was that, you know, for a lot of my childhood, I had undiagnosed ADHD and just like couldn't sit down and, and sit through an entire reading of a book. Mm -hmm. um, and so as I, as I got older and and was diagnosed and then medicated, I was like able to, um, to sit through entire books and kind of lose myself in them without losing interest. Um, and so I didn't start writing until, until late high school, early college. Um, and then in college, a professor asked me to join his writing workshop because he said I had a poet's name. <laughs> uh, which, you know, so I dropped a, an abnormal psych class and joined his, his poetry workshop and have been writing poems ever since. I think I just needed someone to, like, open that door for me mm -hmm. um, and, and invite me into the room. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, it just kind of spiraled. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. And um, for either of you, do you have any, like, major influences um, in terms of other writers so uh, right before this, Layla and I were talking about Louise Glick, who's like probably the first um, the first poet I loved. Um, and if I had to come up with like a, a holy trinity of poets <laughs> for myself, she would 100% be in it. Okay. Uh, yeah. 
I'm interested if she would be like God, the Father, the Son, and that. Uh, <laughs> Probably the ghost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, for me, Louise Glick, um, I read The Untrustworthy Speaker when I was mm. in high school, and um, that, that poem meant so much to me. And I think it's very interesting now, like rereading it um, and seeing, you know, feeling the same way about it that I did when I was 14. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a perfect poem. It's a perfect poem. It's a perfect poem. And, and I was amazed by what it could do, like what a poem could do. Uh, so f- Louise Glick is definitely one of those sort of um, original loves. Um, but also, uh, I loved Margaret Atwood because um, I loved her fiction. And when I learned that she'd written poetry also, um, I went and got a bunch of her books, and she was sort of the the first poet that I knew was living um, because I had never thought to look up Louise Glick. I don't know why, but I looked. I knew Margaret Atwood, um, mm-hmm. so that was very exciting for me um, to read her her work, especially um, Power Politics is my favorite Margaret Atwood book, um, and that that was like, oh yeah, you can you can do this. Like this could be a, a life. Um, and Naomi Shihab Nye is an early love of mine also. Okay. Yeah. 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 Do you feel a little bit like, so since Margaret Atwood sort of had this resurgence with Handmaid's Tale being adapted and whatnot, do you feel a bit like, oh, well, I was reading her stuff like, <laughs> <laughs> before she blew up? Or? Before she was cool. <laughs> and she's always been cool. But yeah. uh, it is interesting because now I have, you know, a lot of people are rereading Handmaid's Tale and... Um, uh, I read because I read Handmaid's Tale in school, and um, that's it blew my brain open. Um, uh, it was articulating things that I was feeling or worrying about in a way that I had never read before. Um, and so I read everything. Um, I did like a school project on Cat's Eye, which was very important to me. Um, I just worked my way through all of her work, um, and so it is. It's exciting for me to see sort of people appreciate um, what she's been doing, because I think she's just a phenomenal woman and writer. And if you look at her career, that woman's put out like a book every year, and they're all incredible. So mm-hmm. um, I, w- I, I once like mapped out um, earlier this year, I was mapping out sort of various careers of poets and writers that I admire and doing her life. I was like, oh, come on, Margaret. Like, I mean, how can how can anyone even come close to that? I mean, mm-hmm. literally, it would be like multiple books yeah. out in a year, and you're like, oh my god. Yeah, yeah. So she's a she's a, a, a singular talent and a gift. Mm-hmm. Wait, are we allowed to ask questions uh, to sure. you and each other? Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Sure. If if you had to adapt Ooh. a poem into like screen. <laughs> what would it be? Because, like, Handmaid's Tale has this resurgence. And it doesn't have to be just Margaret Atwood. Oh. I want to know who mm. you would do, too. Oh. But it has to um, be a poem. It has to be a poem. Okay. Um, uh, this is <laughs> putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I mean, you could cheat and say, like, the Iliad. That's cheating. You know? Yeah, but, yeah, like, yeah. that's cheating. <laughs> cheating. We don't yeah. like cheating. cheaters. <laughs> We're not cheaters. Um, uh, maybe Lady Lazarus. Oh, that's a, yeah. I would, I would watch that. I feel like I'd have to think of like a long, like a series sort of poem. Maybe Bluets, like Maggie Nelson's the whole book. Bluets, the whole book. Okay. I don't know if I'd, she would appreciate that, but if there was a, <laughs> a show of it, I'd be there watching it every day. <laughs> Binge it. I, uh, yeah. This might be have to have to be something I like edit in later when I think come with like the perfect answer because I'm like totally. <laughs> I got nothing cool. right now. <laughs> I like admittedly read more like novels and, yeah. and whatnot. Well, what novel that hasn't been adapted? Would you? 
Um, or short story. Or... Yeah. Uh, I don't know if this has been adapted, but um, I read The Dispossessed recently. Hmm. Um, that was like a Kayla Gwynn mm-hmm. novel, and it just like really messed me up in a good way <laughs> <laughs> in terms of like uh, um, it talking about how we value ourselves through possessions and oh, sort of comparing cool. these different like societies that are um, one is a lot more like communal um, mm. than than another, but the other one's so much more like um, advanced, I guess you would mm-hmm. say, or it has a lot more wealth. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like it would be hard to do, but it would be very like appropriate yeah. in our times, especially. Mm. That's cool. So, hmm. I have to read that. I haven't read it. Oh, it's really good. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty Add short to too. Oh, yeah, like like that. Pages. I like that. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> it always helps. So, um, Eloisa, can can you tell us a bit about what inspired you to form Castura Creative and how that's going? Yeah. So, part of what inspired it was actually moving to Columbus. Um, I decided I was going to move here from Arizona. I didn't know what I was going to do work wise. Um, I had been working for two poets as their assistants and just kind of doing administrative work on the side from a healthcare job that I had um, and doing healthcare administration. Um, and I've been working in administration for the last six years. Um, and so when it came time to move and, and figure out what how I was gonna make a living in this new city, um, I realized that I didn't want to have another job that pulled me away from the writing community. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love Columbus. It's a wonderful city. But there aren't too many opportunities here that are connected to the writing community Mm -hmm. um, that are like full time and and something that I could see myself doing long term. Um, And I saw that there is sort of a gap of certain um, identities being represented in um, in in these like public spaces, you know, um, as someone who had been working for two Latinx women poets um, before, um, I saw an opportunity for other people to be getting the kinds of gigs that they were getting, mm-hmm. um, and and through them I was able to learn a lot about the administrative side of that specific market. Um, and so when it came time to just to, to get everything together and to get things, um, I kind of came up with a list of people who I really wanted to work with um, and reached out to folks and reached out to some, some really amazing people like Layla, who's sitting <laughs> next to me, um, and who were like willing to take this step with me in doing something new for all of us, um, and and just, you know, I love everyone who I represent. I love their work, and I want their work to live in the world mm-hmm. in present time, right? Like, their work lives in the world through their publishers in books on shelves, but I want people to see them out in yeah. the world reading yeah. and performing their work. Um, and so uh, that's kind of how, how it got started and how it all came together. Yeah, that's... That's amazing. And so how long have you been doing it then? Uh, since I like incorporated in May of last year. Okay. Yeah. And then like got everyone together and just kind of, you know, pieced the roster together through maybe like November 
of 2018. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, speaking for like the, the library in terms of, um, you know, doing programming and uh, it was super helpful to find something like, mm-hmm. like you and also Costero Creative because then we can like, yeah, we can offer um, programming and especially we, we don't do a lot of poetry here. So yeah. that was like one need and also for it to be more diverse and like, it was just yeah it was really helpful for us too that's like, good was, yeah, that's great to hear yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um so I, I did want to talk a bit about both of your new collections or, or newest uh Eloisa and From the Inside Quietly uh, so you sort of organize your poems into these four sections and each section begins with you know this third person account featuring E mm-hmm. um how did you conceive of that like theme or structure so it's funny because we're Layla has a book coming out with Copper Canyon next year. Um, so shout out to Layla. Uh, but <laughs> right before this, we were talking about um, how you like send a book out to an editor or a press and they accept it, and the minute they accept it, you have to be like, "I changed everything." <laughs> glad, glad you liked it, but it doesn't look Bye. like that anymore. Um, and so the the book was actually structured very differently, um, and. I don't know, when you submit to like book contests and things, part of you thinks you're going to win and the other part of you is like, I have to keep working on this thing Mm -hmm. because when it doesn't win, I have to resubmit it to these other places. Um, And so I had reorganized it with the e-poems kind of working as the anchors between the four sections, um, which I hadn't thought to do before. Um, But I had had more of them. I had about six of them. but two were like a little bit weaker. And then I realized that they all spoke to these different things like family, um, in particular, like a relationship with a mother. Um, and then just like the female body and, and all of these different themes that I was gonna hit on in the book. And so I wanted to, to use those to kind of anchor the reader. Okay, yeah. Um, this isn't even uh, necessarily a question per se, but uh, something that I just, I don't know, I felt very seen, I guess. Um, <laughs> so the, the poem, uh, Friday Night at a Swedish Hard Rock Concert. Yes. Right? Um, so I'm a big like metal fan, mm-hmm. in particular that type, like Swedish metal and whatnot. Um, so the poem starts with all the white bearded dudes bob their heads in unison. And I was like, oh, yeah, yep. Yeah, I, can, like, <laughs> I can see it. Yep. <laughs> but on a, a little more serious note, like, um, so later in the poem you say, uh, a man lets another punch him in the face. I guess everybody's just trying to feel something or someone. And I feel like uh, oftentimes when, so one, you know, a pretty like mild-mannered librarian. And so mm-hmm. people like find out I'm into metal and they're like, uh, okay, that's weird. <laughs> like what's the appeal? And like mosh pits, yeah. what's the deal with it? Like, yeah. And so uh, this this might be something I point to as far as like, <laughs> yeah, you know what, like... <laughs> Metal is a very complex and, like, complicated music to play. Mm -hmm. I lived with a musician in grad school, um, and he was a jazz percussionist. um, And he was in graduate school at Berklee College of Music. And we would talk about, you know like fiction writers versus poets. Mm-hmm. And I, and he'd asked me questions about that. And I'd asked him about how things were kind of separated at Berkeley. Um, and he mentioned that it was by sort of by genre at a mm-hmm. certain point, people split off. Um, and he said that like 
metal is one of the hardest uh, types of musics to play because of the speed and the like intensity of it. Um, and so that I like grew to appreciate, I don't listen to metal a lot or like, it's not my favorite kind of music, but I, in, in talking to him about that, I like grew uh, an appreciation for it because yeah. it is really complicated. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, it can be very technical mm -hmm. and like to, yeah. So it, it, part of that, you know, um, like when you go to a live concert and there's, I think there's something about, something very distinct about that experience. Yeah. And it can be like very cathartic. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was reading um, earlier this year for some reason, uh, I looked up like the personality kind of uh, traits that of people that like various kinds of music, like, you know, if there's a personality link to music taste. Because um, mm -hmm. I'd read something that was talking about like your tastes are sort of solidified before 30 or something. Um, but it was interesting because it said that folks who like metal were like the most like introspective um, and like mild mannered, which I thought was just so interesting. Like it was just interesting <laughs> that like statistically, um, if you know, if you like metal, then you are this, sort of this kind of person. And I just thought that was very interesting. And it, it, it checked out with sort of the people I know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot. I mean, it's you know, it's obviously it's hard to generalize for an entire genre lyrically, but <clears throat> yeah, a lot of it, a lot of metal can be. Um, you know, about exploring like those harsh or negative emotions. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely, I can see where the introspective bit yeah. comes in. Yeah. That's um, cool. Yeah. yeah, I too. I've heard that the thing about like you don't really find new music um, after thirty. Yeah. And, um, I'm, I'm coming up on thirty, so I, <laughs> yeah, I hope that's not true. Up, I, I, gotta, I still like discovering new I gotta, things. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be the person that's like no. <laughs> No, I'm pretty set in my ways. <laughs> uh, so, Layla, when I was I was reading uh, your poems, um, Motherland and Okay, when are we going? Mm. Um, so it you know it's discussing this like the dynamics, um, you know the re reality of the the Trump presidency, mm -hmm. like you know for a Muslim family and how that feels, and mm. like there are many emotions, you know a lot of shock and fear and whatnot. Um, and I guess the thing that I was thinking is like what is that dynamic like now mm -hmm. that we're you know years into the presidency and like is it yeah. um is, are you sort of numb to it at all or is it like still like what what is that dynamic like now i i suppose yeah that's a good question um so the year 2016 was a very difficult year for me um I, I took a break from Facebook that summer because of all the, um, you know, the the posting and sort of feeling really blindsided by uh, folks that I grew up with or in my communities that were saying things where I, I just, um, it felt like I was surrounded by people taking off masks or something in a mm -hmm. way that was very unsettling. Um, so I, I, I stepped away from Facebook for a while. Um, but that year was scary. And um, I wrote... Motherland in particular. Well, so I wrote, um, okay, where are we, when are we going? Um, the day of the election, actually, that morning. Um, I wrote it and I posted it to Facebook, which I had returned to, um, kind of hedgingly, though. I haven't never really had the same relationship since the election, actually, with Facebook. Um, but I posted it. I'd never published it or anything, just shared it um, mm -hmm. as sort of a plea to, to anyone seeing it, you know, um, not to vote for this man. Um, um, I was in Provincetown, Massachusetts. I had just sort of, I just arrived there um, a month earlier for a fellowship. 
um, and and we watched the election that night. Um, and when I when it was clear to me that Donald Trump was going to win, um, it was when Pennsylvania looked like it was going to go red, and I was certain if Pennsylvania did, then that meant that Michigan, Ohio, everybody. Um, and so I left and uh, walked into the harbor. Um, was like my response to. Uh, to that information. I think that I needed um, some sort of reboot or some sort of, um, I needed to be present in my body and I also needed to mark this moment of horror for myself. And that felt, I don't know, that that, that was what it, I guess I needed to do. Um, it was very cold and, uh, uh, and I, I cathartic, you know, I did pray and cry, and it was very dark, um, and it was a, a moment of real fear. Like, I, I was very afraid. Um, a day or two later, my mother called me um, very late at night, and my mother and I don't talk that frequently, um, so I was startled to get the phone call. Um, but that's what the poem Motherland um, came from, is because my mother was terrified, um, and she wanted me to come home, um, back to Michigan so that we could leave the country. She wanted all of us to, to leave. Um, my mother's white and um, my father's Arab and all of us children um, are Muslim and, and have you know, Arabic names and, um, and she wanted to protect us. And I think um, she, we never really talked about race growing up or anything like that. Um, and the election kind of, um, thrusted into our family, like the conversation started to have to happen. Um, and it was because my mother, uh, I think a large part of it was because my mother, who you know is a white woman, um, walks around the world as a white woman, um, people started to say really hateful things to her, thinking that she was, you know, would agree with them. Um, and she was able to see some of the prejudices that we um, experienced um, because people were, had no idea that she had um, an, an Arab um, former husband and, and children. Um, and so my mother sort of really quickly realized what, had, what was going on sort of um, under the surface that she never experienced directly. Um, and so uh, it was a scary time. Um, we didn't obviously leave the country, uh, but my mother lived in Howell, Michigan, um, which is a very conservative town. Um, she was surrounded by people saying really horrible things. Um, it kind of put her, I think, in a state of perpetual fear of what, what might happen to us. Um, so that was a, it was very hard. Um, I actually, am, the, the chapbook sort of, it all plays into this in that um, I told myself earlier that year, the beginning of 2016, that my goal for the year was to create a chapbook. Um, and when I got to Provincetown, once the election happened, that all felt very derailed. Um, I stopped writing. Uh, I stopped feeling really able to do anything. Um, and that was because I was like in this state of fear. Um, and I actually just barely managed, I decided like a week before the end of the year in December um, that there was the deadline for Bull City coming up. And I wanted to, to try and make this chapbook. Um, so I sat at my kitchen table for a week working on it nonstop. Um, so I'm very glad that I ended up doing that. But that's also why there's sort of this strong 2016 sort of um, events. There's a lot of events that happened that year that are in the chapbook. I think of it as being a chapbook very much of that year for me. 
Um, but since then, um, I think we're a little numbed out to it. Um, some changes are that my mother watches the news religiously. Um, I grew up being that sort of person who would always watch the news when no one else do, did, and, and now I don't. Um, I can't, I have to be very particular about when I see information um, to choose to seek it out as opposed to getting it bombarded. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that in the time since uh, parts of my family become much more political and parts of us are very drained. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, but we're all registered to vote and we all, you know, that's something that had not happened before the election and we're all ready to go for the next one. So yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's at least been good to see my family all um, energized around this and feeling ready to kind of get back in the trenches for yes. round two. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. I know it's not easy to recount, I'm sure. Um, I guess in, in some small way, um, I can relate to what you said about people taking masks off um, mm. because, um, you know, I, my, there's not a lot of diversity in my family, um, predominantly white. And, uh, yeah, I, I guess, you know, some of my relatives, um, I found out things about them that sort of really wish I hadn't um yeah so yeah I, I, get, I get that it's a scary time when it's yeah you're sort of seeing I don't know it's, it really does feel like you don't know I don't know or maybe you know too much now <laughs> and you before you you were in some sort of um you know fantasy place or something but. yeah and there's like a love-hate relationship to that because yeah. before then it's like you have an inkling but you don't really know and so you're just kind of going along with the thing or like mm -hmm. this relationship yeah. but then once the like line is drawn yeah. and people are choosing which side they're going to be on. Yeah. Right. And I found it very that? easy to like stop following certain people from high school because mm -hmm. oh, yeah. I was like, oh, oh, you are over there where I thought you were mm -hmm. and yeah. you confirmed it and like, great, we can move on Yeah. Um, in our separate world. Yeah. And the bit you said about information overload is certainly very real um <laughs> choosing when to like when yeah. and where when you know to, to get in. it yeah because yeah. it's ever i mean like in the, i mean that's something that's good and bad is that now that is all that everyone talks about right mm -hmm. it's like before mm -hmm. the election um i don't think that everyone was incredibly political um people didn't seem to be that informed all the time um mm -hmm. and now it's it's a it's a prerequisite for being an adult, I think. You need, everyone knows what's going on and everyone's tuned in. And sometimes it feels a little bit like we're living in a reality TV show or something, but um, people know. So then it's, it's not only online that you're talking about these things, it's in person, it's like at your dinner table, it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's in the, you know, the air we breathe. Yeah, that's true, that is true. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was in one of those poems you mentioned, um, being named Layla, because mm. of the song, right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, that, that's uh, Clapton, right? Clapton, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if you know the uh, the rock band Tesla from, like, the 80s and 90s. No. You probably would know a song or two. They were, like, uh, they did, like, signs. Like, signs, signs, everywhere the sign. No. Nope. Right. It's cool. I can. I'll just edit this part out. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, anyway, uh, definitely more obscure than Clapton. But anyway, they just remind me of. So I was named after their singer. Um, his name is. It's like Jeffrey Keith. Um, and uh, is your real name Keith? It is. Yeah. Oh, cute. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's like, it's kind of funny because um, 
apparently my parents weren't even like diehard fans. Uh, they just, like <laughs> sort of needed a name and it sounded good. And like, also, uh, he's, I mean, I, I'm not that into the music and he's a very sort of interesting looking man. And it's just, it's a, it's kind of a strange namesake, I think. Yeah. I love um, that. <laughs> I love that. It's just like, we're not even really that into him, but, <laughs> but it sounds nice. It's, <laughs> it's solid. Yeah. It's pretty great. Um, so I think we're running a bit short of time. So again, uh, I want to thank Eloisa Mesqua and Leila Shati for being on the uh, BPL podcast. Really appreciate it. Um, and I also thank them for coming to the library to do the program tonight. Um, so definitely check out uh, their work. Um, you can get it here from the library or definitely purchase it and support them. Uh, be sure to check out Castro Creative as well. Um, and that's all the time we have for today's podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Laser, and have a good evening. Shout out to libraries. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs>